Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Ben and Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in the downtown Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We have a great show. Um, we're here in Los Angeles. We're enjoying an Irish invasion. You two was in town for a couple of shows here at the Forum. Saw them last night. Great show. Um, they're great showmen. And uh, continuing on the Irish theme, um, Irishman turned 007, Pierce Brosnan, turned 65. So he'll be getting his Medicare card up at his house in Malibu. So happy birthday, Pierce Brosnan. But um, that's not what we're here to talk about today. We have a, a lot of things going on on the Internet. There's actually going to be a vote on net neutrality in the Senate today. And it's a, a vote to um, basically reverse the decision of the FCC and reinstate the old rule that had been imposed by the Obama administration. Um, that's going to take place sometime today, so momentous day. But today we're going to be talking about an, an interesting subject that um, largely unnoticed that is quickly getting a lot of attention and steam as the May 25th deadline for the EU's um, GDPR, um, their new privacy laws that go into effect on May 25th, and its impact on ICANN's Who Is regime. And with us, we have Tyler Marandola, who's going to explain to us really what this, what is happening, and what this means. Because it can have, there's some great alarm that this may impact actually the overall cybersecurity of the web. And so this this little little discussed issue actually could have quite a big impact. So Tyler, you're with us. Thanks for having me, Bennett. And um, Tyler is co- calling in from Philadelphia. Um, regrettably, home of the World, World Super Bowl champions, and <laughs> not regrettably at all. <laughs> um, any event, Tyler, uh, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I, I am an intellectual property litigator with Ballard Spar here in Philadelphia. Uh, we have offices in in a few different places in the country, uh, including uh, L.A. And I do mostly at the moment patent litigation. Uh, and trademark and copyright litigation, but uh, my practice also includes internet law issues, UDRP proceedings, uh, and 
other kind of domain name enforcement and trademark enforcement. So Tyler came on my radar screen because he co-authored an article, um, GDPR and the Future of Who is Data. And Tyler's background, as well as a link to that article and some background on the ICANN Who Is, is available on our show notes, which are available at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And um, as usual, you can also follow us on Twitter at CyberLawRadio. Um, so, Tyler, you walk us through what's going on with respect to the GDPR and Who Is. And I guess maybe let's start off with what exactly is the Who Is system? Sure. So whenever anybody registers a domain name, uh, whether it's a .com, a .net, any of the other generic top-level domains, or, or a country code domain, you're, you're required to provide certain information about you, the registrant. That includes your name, your address, email address, phone number, uh, and also technical and administrative contacts. The Whois database is the a database in which that information is published. And at least for the time being, up until May 25th, that information is generally available to the public. And it's, it's not a single database, but it, it's searchable. And so anyone who's interested in who's behind a particular domain name can go to a Whois search, can type in the, the domain name, and can get back a, a report that includes the registrant's name, address, email address, and generally speaking, that will then allow you to contact them. There are ways that registrants can mask their real name and address, whether it's through a proxy service or a lot of registrars who you register the domain names with also provide that service either for a fee or free of charge. But uh, generally speaking, Unless you're using that service, your information is publicly available. Are you there? Yes. So um, when ICANN set up Whois, they listed several th reasons why it was being done. And one was to have a reliable mechanism for identifying and contacting the registrant, providing reasonably accurate and up-to-date information about the technical and administrative points of contact, administering the domain, and supporting a framework to address issues involving domain name registration, including but not limited to consumer protection, investigation of cybercrime, DNS abuse, and intellectual property protection. And last, providing a framework to address appropriate law enforcement needs. And so, you know, these are very valuable things. And, um, it has also been used a lot for as a tool for people uh, in the cybersecurity field. Can you explain that? That's right. So uh, when malware is distributed or when folks engage in, in phishing schemes, uh, one of the most powerful tools that cybersecurity researchers have to kind of track down the, generally speaking, voluminous number of domain names that these folks use for these schemes is who is data. And now it, oftentimes cyber criminals aren't providing uh, accurate kind of names or, or addresses, but there are still oftentimes embedded in those who is reports information that can be used to, to track down 
whoever is distributing malware or whoever is engaged in these schemes. One of the most powerful actually is the registrant's email address because it, an email address, unlike some other um, information, is harder to, to fake. It has to be verified by the registrar and it's often even cyber criminals will use a similar email address across multiple domains and that allows you to find other domains that the same that have been registered by the same email address that's called the reverse who is search which as we'll i think discuss later in the show is going to become much harder under any proposed model for complying with the the general data protection regulation <coughs> so cyber, it's important for cybersecurity resources you mentioned law enforcement who have a, a, a big stake in the availability of who is data. The U.S. government in particular has been very outspoken about the importance of having email address addresses show up in who is reports. Uh, you and I are probably very familiar with intellectual property holders yes. who use uh, who is to track down folks who are, are infringing trademarks or who are cyber squatting. Uh, and then it, it, it would be important to mention that it's not all good. It, who is data is also used by uh, spammers who, or you know, cyber criminals who can target domain name holders uh, based on this data. Uh, spammers in particular can kind of scrape who is data and, and use that to, to send out mass mailings and those sort of what I guess we would call abusive communications. Right. And we had a show a few years back on this topic when ICANN was trying to, I guess, um, strengthen the WHOIS system by requiring verification of the data. And there was some pushback over privacy issues, and particularly in concern of one of the arguments raised was the use of spamming. But now a, a new privacy issue has emerged, and that's GDPR. Can you explain how GDPR relates to the WHOIS situation? Sure. So GDPR it stands for the, the General Data Protection Regulation. It's an EU regulation that's going to replace their current data protection regime. And it'll apply pretty broadly to anyone who either any data controller or data processor, that is basically anyone who has or uses personally identifiable information, It'll apply to data controllers and processors who are either based in the European Union or who are based elsewhere, but control or process the data of EU citizens. And the GDPR implements a lot of new protections. Uh, some of the more, I guess, newsworthy and the ones that have gotten the most press, we've mentioned that this issue actually hasn't gotten a ton of press, but some of the ones that have gotten more press include the the so-called right to be forgotten, right. Uh, data portability, which is if somebody has your data, they, you have to be able to, to contact them and tell them to, to give it to a different service provider. Uh, and the, there are new requirements and enhanced requirements for consent. Now, the reason that this applies to who is is that registrars, registries, and very likely ICANN will be considered data controllers under the GDPR because they collect a good amount of information, personally identifiable information from registrants, uh, and then they pu make them, them public uh, so that people can, can see it. Currently, the, the mechanism for making this information public is consent. 
the registrars all have contracts with ICANN, as do the registries, that require them to collect this what is called thick WHOIS data, addresses, email, emails, phone numbers from registrants. And the contracts require the registrars to get registrant consent for publishing this data in the WHOIS database. GDPR essentially takes away the current consent regime for making WHOIS data public. Uh, under GDPR, consents have to be freely given. They have to be specific, which means specific to the purpose for which data is used, and they have to be unambiguous. Um, on top of that, a, a data subject has to have the option to withdraw their consent without detriment, to decline consent without detriment, and when they choose to withdraw their consent, it has to be as simple to withdraw it as it was to give it. That likely means that the consents that are embedded in these registrant contracts are not going to be uh, compliant with GDPR, uh, almost certainly. Uh, now, registrars are not required to use any particular language, so we don't really know exactly what, what language is in a lot of these agreements. Uh, but it's a pretty consensus view, and it's consistent with the legal advice that, that ICANN received uh, back in October. And when the EU, the GDPR, goes into effect on May 25th, but it was passed, I believe, was it 2016? Uh, that's right. What, what was ICANN's res response when it was passed in 2016? So... ICANN's response was at the time, or I, I should say ICANN has been a bit slow to really pick up on this issue, uh, and, and they've recognized that. Uh, it wasn't actually until 2017, I think, that, that, ICANN, that ICANN actually started to get legal opinions about how GDPR would affect uh, the, the WHOIS database. Uh, and they, since then, they've started to put in, in compliance models. But uh, ICANN's initial response was pretty, pretty muted, and they've since recognized that they did not do enough early on to address. Because GDPR actually, while it's been, um, it was passed three years ago, it was proposed, I think, back in 2012. I, you may know if that's right or not. I, I don't have that in front of me. But, yeah, it, it, but I guess what I was getting at is, ICANN first started getting on the ball on this issue in some point in 2017, right? That's right. And so they conclude, ICANN concludes this is uh, more than a, a theoretical threat to the WHOIS system. So w what did they do in response? So ICANN, after receiving legal opinion and input from their stakeholders, ICANN's tried to develop a handful of different models uh, for potentially dealing with uh, what WHOIS will look like come May 25th. The, the first real attempt at this was uh, in January, January 12th, when ICANN proposed three different models. Uh, all of them required still the collection of thick WHOIS data from registrants. And, and ICANN has made has had that as a consistent part of uh, of their compliance model. So, hopefully, uh, data thick data will continue to be collected. 
Uh, but the different models, you may remember, differed uh, both in what amount of data was accessible to the public. Uh, it went from essentially no, no public who is data to um, essentially everything except a registrant name for a natural person. Uh, and then the, the real controversy has uh, surrounded who is going to be entitled to access non-public who is information. Right. It's, been, it's been recognized at this point that who is, with respect to the GDPR, who is, will not exist as it has existed to, up to May 25th after that date. <coughs> uh, and so there's been a number of proposals about how to deal with non -pu the non-public data and who will get access to it. In ICANN's January models, there were basically three uh, approaches to that. What, the first was, was self-certification. Uh, we should probably talk in, in, I guess, a little bit of detail about the, one of the justifications for data processing under the GDPR, which is a legitimate interest. Uh, and under ICANN's first model, a third party would be allowed to self-certify that they had a legitimate interest to get access to full WHOIS data, and then they would receive that access. The second model, and it looks like this is where things are going to end up at the end of the day, although, as we'll discuss, we, we don't really know when, uh, was a, a more formal certification program where there would be some pre-established criteria and third parties would be able to, to go to whoever's doing the accreditation, that's not uh, decided yet either, show that they met the requirements, either they were a member of law enforcement, they represented intellectual property holders, they were cybersecurity researchers or employees. Uh, and under that accreditation program, they could obtain access to the thick who is data once they were approved. The third and most restrictive was uh, you'd have to get a court order. Uh, essentially, um, either you'd have to have a, an order from a, either a data protection authority or from a judicial tribunal. And this is definitely not what I can originally intended for who is. And so how effective would this would these mechanisms be if they were approved? The um, tiered access mechanisms? Yeah. It's really not clear, only because the process was started so late, it seems, that the accreditation model uh, is not fleshed out in great detail yet. Uh, and you'll, uh, that was actually just two days ago that ICANN proposed a temporary specification for who is, which would include ultimately very little actual data in public who is, it would have an organization name and it would have a state or province, uh, but other information you'd have to essentially seek it through the registrars themselves by either sending a letter that establishes a legitimate interest uh, or getting a court order and presenting it to them. Uh, the accreditation model um, it, it's, is still very much up in the air and it's unclear how well it would work uh, or when actually it's even going to be ready to be put in place. So um, ICANN decides things somewhat collectively through its um, stake, stakeholder model of, of governance. And they had a, a meeting in March in Puerto Rico 
in San Juan to address these various proposals. And what was the result? So the the proposal at the time um, on March 8, the to continue kind of with our, our discussion of the accreditation model, imagined what I think was to date kind of the most fleshed out proposal, which was the, the Governmental Advisory Committee, which is a, a committee that advises ICANN. It's one of the, the, as you mentioned, many stakeholders that ICANN has. The Governmental Advisory Committee would administer the accreditation program, would come up with the standards, and then would require compliance. The after the meeting in San Juan, which from, I guess, those of us who were hoping for an accreditation model prior to May 25th uh, did not go very well, the, the Governmental Advisory Committee came out very quickly and said, we don't view ourselves as having an operational role in this accreditation model that you envision. Uh, so right, right out of the gate, they effectively torpedoed that part of the proposal. Uh, and since then, it's been kind of a, uh, a rush um, for ICANN to, to develop alternatives before the, the May 25th deadline. Uh, well, ICANN has – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, we have, a, we have a rush for another deadline. We have to take our first break, um, but we come back. We'll learn more about – um, what ICANN is doing post-San Juan after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. AM Days 2018 comes to Las Vegas, May 16th and 17th. Register now at amdays.com. Make the most of your performance marketing with help from some of the most iconic brands, including Microsoft, Capital One, Uber, Backcountry, and many more. AM Days 2018 brings together a powerhouse of industry leaders and dealmakers to network and share insights on the latest practices and cutting-edge updates in performance marketing and more. Make plans to be in Las Vegas for our landmark 10th event. AM Days 2018, Las Vegas, May 16th. And 17th. Webmaster Radio listeners can save 20% on two day and combo passes using promo code WMR20. Register now at amdays.com. The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for the 2018 International Web Award Competition. Web Marketing Award winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Award site. Visit www.webaward.org to nominate your company, site, or organization. Deadline for entries is May 31st, 2018. Go to www.webaward.org and sign up today. All of your favorite WebmasterRadio.fm programs on air and on demand 24-7. Find our shows on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere you download your podcasts. Add some podcasts to your playlist as part of a better profit margin. More refreshing talk radio on air and on demand 24-7. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Testing at the speed of sound. WebmasterRadio.fm, the flamethrower. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. 
This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back and we're talking to Tyler Marandola about the ICANN who is um, quandary in the in the post GDPR world. And before the break, we were basically talking about ICANN's March meeting in San Juan, and apparently those who uh, re- depend upon who is all they got was a T-shirt. And so, um, let's talk about the post San Juan efforts to try to address this situation. And I think the first was, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there some uh, failed effort by ICANN just to say, "Come on, guys, go easy on us. Give us a little time to get our our, our stuff together." Well, that's right. So, uh, at the the San Juan meeting, one of the the thoughts that that started to get floated around was a moratorium on enforcement by the data protection authorities. Uh, the thinking being. This is a really complicated issue. GDPR is, compliance is difficult. It's expensive. ICANN uh, administers or has under its umbrella, uh, I think, over 2,500 registrars and registries, uh, which range from you know incredibly sophisticated to really uh, what you'd call almost mom and pop small businesses. And uh, so I, ICANN's view was we're making a, a concerted effort to comply, to come up with a, a model that that both uh, serves our purpose of providing access to this information as needed and for legitimate reasons, and uh, also protects the, the privacy of registrants. Uh, so perhaps we could get some forbearance from the data protection authorities. The reason... Uh, being the GDPR, one of its its innovations as compared to the the current privacy law, is that fines for noncompliance can be extremely high, uh, up to to 20 million euros or uh, 4% of of global turnover, whichever is is higher. And so I ca- I can sought uh, both guidance from what's called the Article 29 Working Party, uh, which as of May 25th will be. Uh, the the data protection board. Uh, it's a collection of of governments and or governmental data protection authorities, and also uh, sought some assurances that if ICANN was still in the process of complying uh, as of May 25th, which they, they surely will be, uh, that they would have some reasonable amount of time to implement a solution that complied with GDPR. Uh, the, the response has not been promising, at least on the mor- moratorium part. So far, the Article 29 Working Party has said there is simply no uh, ability under GDPR for us to give you uh, a moratorium on, on enforcement. This is a, a fundamental right of European citizens, and we, we can't make exceptions to it uh, for individual organizations. Right, no, no hall pass on this one. And now, right. uh, another party uh, voicing objections to this, this current situation um, was the White House cybersecurity coordinator, Rob Joyce. And he indicated that he, that, that he shares the concerns, ICANN's concerns over GDPR, and um, they were actively attempting to push back and, and fix or create a carve-out in the regulations for GDPR with the EU. And that, that appears unsuccessful, am I correct? 
You are correct. And I, I did mention earlier that, um, you know, cybersecurity folks are uh, very concerned about GDPR because it makes it very difficult to identify folks who are potential bad actors who are behind websites. It also makes it much harder uh, to kind of work across domain names to find uh, patterns and schemes that are often so uh, important to stopping uh, cyber threats. The U.S. government in particular has been uh, very consistently strong in their view that anonymized email addresses, which is what the current proposal looks like it will be, anonymized registrant email addresses for the purpose of, of contacting the registrant, harm the ability of cybersecurity uh, workers to do their job. And the, the hang-up under the GDPR is that email addresses, um, I know, for example, my law firm email address, which is my last name and my first initial, is, is an easy way. It contains what would be considered personally identifiable information under the GDPR. It's my last name. Uh, the, so the fear under GDPR is that email addresses our, will be personally identifiable information. The counterpoint to that and the one that the U.S. government has pushed is that there's nothing that requires a registrant to provide an email address that contains personally identifiable information. Uh, anyone can come up with you know, a fancy full email address or something that has nothing to do with, with their actual identity. Right. Um, the, the Article 29 Working Party has in, was in their response to ICANN on I think it was April 11th uh, asking for guidance came down very plainly on the other side. Uh, they appeared to like the suggestion for anonymized email addresses, uh, and they seemed very much not to like the, the proposal from some ICANN stakeholders, that, or the, the arguments from some ICANN stakeholders that uh, email addresses should not be considered um, personal information under GDPR and that they should be published. Uh, or the, the other part is that often the argument is publishing an email address serves the, the legitimate purpose of helping to, to contact the registrant and to, to map um, you know, patterns of domain name use by the same registrant. Uh, so far, the Article 29 Working Party and the Data Protection Authority seem unmoved by those arguments. Now, um, though, while they may be unmoved by the arguments, the person making the argument, Rob Joyce, is no longer the White House cybersecurity coordinator. And in fact, this week, the White House announced they were eliminating the whole position of cybersecurity coordinator, in, in, which just seems inexplicable. Uh, I saw one commentator note that it's like you know uh, eliminating the Navy after Pearl Harbor. And I don't know if you have any reaction to the elimination of that position. I, I thought the same thing, which is, is that it just seems like a very, it seems like a very strange time to eliminate what is becoming a more and more crucial uh, position it, it, at a time when, you know, the GDPR coming into effect on May 25th will require every data controller or data processor to have someone who is responsible for uh, data protection, you know, the, the U.S. government is, is eliminating the, the person who is responsible for uh, coordinating cybersecurity across the U.S. government. It, it, it's, it's a very strange, um, I guess, dichotomy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just puzzling. 
So we, we have a situation now where um, because mm-hmm. there's no apparent agreement, what is going to happen on May 25th? So it's, it is still a bit up in the air in the sense that um, registrars or registries who are based in the EU or who, who process a good amount of EU data may choose to do their own thing and feel like they uh, have to comply regardless of what their contract with ICANN says. Uh, but ICANN just this week put out their temporary specification that uh, purports, to, if, if it is approved by ICANN, purports to give registrars and registries a kind of roadmap for complying with GDPR and complying with ICANN's contracts. Uh, the, and I, I did mention, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, the, the result would be that the vast majority of fields that we currently see when we pull up a WHOIS report, registrant name, registrant email address, uh, registrant address, registrant phone number, will all, along with the administrative and technical contacts, will be filled with instead the phrase redacted for privacy. Uh, what will be still public is you know, an organization name, to the extent there is one, and a state or province. Uh, so that will provide some limited information to, to the public who are making these searches. Uh, the other point here is that ICANN has said that registrars must provide an anonymized email address or a web form that will actually allow someone to contact the registrant. It's not clear kind of from the, from this, the side of the person sending the email whether there's any way to, to know whether the registrant actually got it. Um, right. And there's, there's certainly no way to do uh, a reverse WHOIS search uh, based on an anonymized email address. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like there will be one. I, my understanding is there's no proposal at the moment to make, say, an anonymized email address that matches to a particular registrant. I think that would be its own problem. Um, and also, I think there's a question uh, of how much an anonymized email address really serves the, the purpose of kind of cutting down on, on spam or other abusive communications if all the registrar is doing is kind of mechanically forwarding those things to the registrant. But that's kind of what we, we, could ex- we can expect as of May 25th, and uh, the registrars will hopefully uh, be in a position where they're required to respond to requests for information that are based on what will be legitimate purposes under the GDPR. And, and what does that mean then for it was, for example, your practice. You know, how is that going to affect your practice? So, uh, for me, the my uh, the primary use that I make of who is is when uh, I'm aware of what I think are uh, infringements or domain name squatting. The the first thing you do is, uh, at least w- when these are on the internet, is you go to the who is database. You see who registered the domain, uh, if that that information is available what their contact email is, where they're based. And the next thing you do is you use a reverse Whois search to find other domain names that that person has registered. Um, oftentimes, for example, if someone sets up a, uh, a website that, that sells infringing products, they have some other website that sells 
the same infringing products, but it uses the same um, you know, infringing marks. Uh, who is is really the best and the fastest and the most efficient way to get that information. Uh, and w without it, it's going to be much harder. There are potentially ways to use the website itself, to use IP addresses to identify folks. Um, other more onerous options that you might be a little bit familiar with are court orders, but those are, are obviously much make the process of enforcing a client's rights much more expensive and burdensome. Right. I mean, you have to, I mean, everyone says, well, you can get a court order. Well, you have to file a lawsuit. And That's right. you don't just file a lawsuit randomly. You know, there's certain ethical standards and you have to have a certain amount of evidence to move forward with a lawsuit. And then you have to subpoena. I mean, it's, and there, there are a lot of costs that get to that point when you're just trying to investigate whether or not your client has been harmed. And, and this gives you very few answers. That's right. And, and oftentimes, um, I'm sure you're familiar with this, infringements can be resolved without lawsuits. Uh, right. I'd say the vast majority of, in, of infringing activity that, that we resolve is resolved without a lawsuit, either by letter or by an investigation that reveals, in fact, this is a licensee of the client's mark, for example, um, or this is a licensee of, of this, this domain name. Um, it, that's not going to be possible, or at least it's going to be much more difficult with uh, the restricted who is that we're going to see come March 25th, or May 25th, excuse me. <coughs> and if you, you follow someone like Brian Krebs at Krebs on Security, who's been really sounding on the alarm on, on this issue, what might be the implications for cybersecurity? Sure. I, I actually think they're much more grave uh, for cybersecurity. It, it's certainly going to make my job harder. I think it, if you read Brian Krebs, it's going to make certain cybersecurity functions impossible. Um, the reverse who is, which relies on historical domain name registration data, is an incredibly important tool for researchers who need to identify uh, domain names that are all registered by a particular person or organization because oftentimes these phishing schemes or other types of cybercrime malware distribution rely on upon a, a large number of domain names uh, all registered by the same person. Now, as I mentioned earlier, criminals don't often provide uh, painstakingly accurate information, but uh, if you read almost any uh, cybersecurity researcher's blog post about how uh, you know, malware distributors were uncovered, it relies oftentimes on a who is entry that contained some information that led to more information that eventually uh, helped track down who was behind it. Uh, that is going to be nearly impossible to do now. And I think that's, that's why not only cybersecurity security researchers, but um, law enforcement are very concerned about uh, this development. My, my hunch is law enforcement will kind of get uh, priority treatment when it comes to to governments, if you're talking about country code domains or registrars, but there's no way to, to guarantee that. Or and there's also no way to guarantee that registrars can deal will can be will be able to deal with what I can only imagine is going to be a, a deluge of letters and requests for information from third parties. 
And, and so it would seem, I want to ask an, an, another question after this, but when it would seem that the registrars who have never been big fans of the current Whois regime may actually hate the new Whois regime because they're going to get all these letters and inquiries. I think that's right. There's a little bit of uh, be careful what you wish for here. I, I, I think, right, registrars never really liked um, the having to keep data updated and, and collect all this information in the first place. But um, now it, it seems like the they're going to be, at least some of them who, who don't have big abuse departments, will be underwater with requests from uh, lawyers, from cybersecurity folks from law enforcement uh, seeking to unmask what will be redacted data now. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, though, there's really the question of what does the EU think about the, this dumpster fire, or is they, are they perfectly comfortable with it? Um, we'll have to talk about that when we get back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Hello, I'm Hector Elizondo, and I want to talk to you about getting older. My body hurts, my joints ache, and sometimes I forget. I forget that doing all your own scenes for a movie isn't always the best decision, especially when you're galloping high speed on a horse named Archibello. So yes, my body hurts, but it's not because of my age. It's because I'm living my life. Don't let life pass you by. Take care of your brain health. It may just help you stay on top of your game. Learn more at brainhealth.gov. Webmasterradio.fm. Take your hat off, kick your feet up, and log into the feed. We're here for you 24-7. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with Tyler Marandola about um, the current situation with who is and with the onset of the EU's GDPR um, going into effect on May 25th. And we were talking about some of the, really the, the repercussions of having a, a very privacy-centric um, who is system and what that could mean in terms of 
um, lawsuits in terms of uh, inability to address cybersecurity threats. And what, what, what does the EU say? Is that just collateral damage? So I, I think there's, there is a bit of history here uh, in that I think a number of, of data protection folks in, in the EU feel like WHOIS has been um, flaunting data privacy rules for a little while. Uh, that this is, I think GDPR is typically thought of as a, a backlash against um, the kind of data breaches, data sharing that we we're, we see all throughout the news. It is, of course, not explicitly a response to, to who is, but there is a bit of this uh, of a sense, as, as far as I can tell, that um, companies and organizations like ICANN have had time to comply and have really shown no interest in doing so until um, big fines were on the table. And so at, at least in the, the public pronouncements, there has not been uh, much sympathy for what is, uh, I think, a very complicated situation, even if they, there has been some acknowledgement that it's a complicated situation. Um, even in the, the most recent uh, correspondence to, to ICANN in early April, the uh, Article 29 Working Party uh, somewhat confusingly both expressed some support for the, the accreditation model that ICANN was trying to develop, but at the same time said, you know, your function really is the coordinating the stable operation of the domain name system. Uh, keep that in mind when you're thinking about the WHOIS system and how you're going to process data. So I, I think so far the EU has been pretty, uh, at least publicly, uh, not moved by what is going to be a very, a very difficult situation for a lot of of third-party stakeholders. It remains, of course, to be seen. Um, there's an, a lot of discretion in the enforcement of this law, and uh, there, there's a lot of ability to tailor either um, enforcement actions or remedies uh, to match what is viewed as the gravity of, of the offense. And so it remains to be seen whether individual data protection authorities who are charged with enforcement of this, this law will uh, give some leniency to ICANN and to other organizations who are, are trying to comply, uh, even recognizing that they're not going to do so before May 25. You know, I'm surprised in, to a certain extent. I would think, I often joke that uh, GDPR is the EU's attempt at um, acting like Americans and making their laws apply extraterritorially. And because uh, it applies to anyone who has EU European data of a European subject, uh, which you know, American U.S. Congress we often pass laws that have extraterritorial effect. But I'm surprised that uh, the U.S. or no other nation has really stepped forward and said, "Hey, um, we disagree, and we, we're going to require you to keep this data." Um, and maybe that's going to be a, a reaction to post. Um, GDPR, whether there will be conflicting uh, legislation by different nation states trying to define what the internet should do. That's that's certainly possible, and in the U.S., I'm sure, and you can get a little bit of this in the flavor uh, of the various U.S. government input into the the GDPR, who is issue, uh, is is not super thrilled with having uh, companies that are essentially U.S. 
companies with major international presence uh, all of a sudden governed by a law that really in a in practical effect is going to to affect their u.s customers also um in some ways, I think a lot of people view that as, as good. Uh, Facebook got a lot of bad press. You might remember when they initially said they were going to uh, change their, their consent standards for Europe, but not for the United States. They've since backtracked on that and said that they'll apply the same pro- data privacy uh, policies to all their consumers. Um, but you're right. It, it will be interesting to see whether individual governments uh, – try to legislate either around the GDPR or directly in contrary to GDPR uh, in terms of the U.S. There are uh, one of the, uh, the justifications under GDPR for processing data is uh, when the, the processing is in the public interest. And one of the, the things that GDPR explicitly allows is for governments to uh, pass laws that define what public interests are. Um, and so it, it might remains to be seen whether uh, ICANN or other entities who have an interest, law enforcement, intellectual property holders, will be able to successfully lobby governments to mitigate some of what the effect is, is going to be of a, a essentially non-public who is. Now, um, we only have a few minutes left. ICANN is meeting in Panama City and in, in- Panama, which is a great city if you've never been, uh, in the end of June. What do you think, what do you expect to come out of there? Well, I expect at that point uh, there will hopefully be um, some major progress on what will be an actual accreditation model. I, I know that speaking to, to my colleagues here, uh, there is a, a big concern, and I think one of the practical tips that I, I kind of give give folks who maybe aren't as cued into this issue is to the extent you have, you know, IP enforcement or other types of, of activities that require who is searches, do them now. Uh, certain registries are going to be taking down um, the public who is information as early as next week. Um, I, well, I guess the, 20, the 25th is the end of next week, but as early as early next week. Uh, and so to the extent you can get those searches in, uh, do them now, and because it, it remains unclear when we're actually going to have a, a true accreditation model that might provide access to bulk who is data, or if we ever will have it. Hopefully, we'll get some clarity on that in Panama. Now, um, there's a there's something you don't hear often. Well, getting clarity clarity right. in Panama, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> If if people want to learn more about you, Tyler, and, and your firm's practice, where, where, should, where should they go? Sure. Uh, so I'm. We have our, our website, BallardSpar.com. What is? We also have a data privacy uh, group that uh, runs a blog called Cyber Advisor. It's at CyberAdvisorBlog.com, where uh, both me and uh, a number of our members of our data privacy practice uh, blog about uh, everything from data breach laws, uh, which are now in all, all 50 states in the United States, uh, and other issues of, of data privacy. And do um, you have any up, up, upcoming appearances you want to plug? or? Uh, I don't have anything on my schedule at the moment, actually. Um, okay. are, will you be up at INTA? 
I will not be at Inta, but actually I am flying today to um, Las Vegas to attend the um, Internet Law Leadership Summit, and a number of uh, guests on this show will be there, and it's a, a great, great event. We'll get about 40 Internet lawyers together in Vegas and uh, hash out issues like these and and have a good time with this as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to joining my colleagues there. And I also want to give a shout-out to uh, a fellow um, host on this network, James Martell and Arlene Martell. Um, they just had the 500th broadcast of their show, Affiliate Buzz. So congratulations to them. Next week, we will be having an interesting show. There's a, a growing push to get um, people with science backgrounds to run for Congress. And we're going to talk to one of them. Um, Jess Phoenix, who's running up here in um, outside Los Angeles in what could be a pivotal race in terms of who retakes the House. Jess is a volcano scientist, and uh, she's running a very spirited campaign. We're going to have her t- next week to talk about um, that race and the whole push for science and um, fact-based campaigns. But I want to thank Tyler for joining us. Tyler, it's been a great pleasure having you again. Tyler Russell. Uh, was kind enough to speak to the the California Bar um, IP section on this topic. So um, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right. Well, join us next week. We'll have Jess Phoenix here. We'll be talking about the 2018 elections and everyone else have a safe week. We'll be here right same time next week. This is Bennett Kelly with Cyber Law and Business Report. Have a great week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.